everyone had heard stories of this Jesus. I mean, they're, they're so miraculous and so unbelievable, but how could they be untrue? I mean, they're coming from all over with, with many different stories. There was a blind man who could see, a paralyzed man who was carried to him on a mat and he, and he walked away jumping. There was a woman who had been bleeding for years. There was even talk of how he, he calmed the storm, how he can control the weather. Now, if it was one or two stories, it, it'd be easy to discredit. But these stories were coming from all over Israel. And even some places from outside Israel, from the Decapolis and from Tyre, as, as we heard from Craig speak from last week. These stories of Jesus were coming from all over, from different people. If you've been tracking with us as we, as we go through Mark, we're, we're now on Mark 9. And these are the questions and the thoughts that people would be having as they hear about this Jesus. Because something was different was happening with him. And he wasn't only just doing these miraculous signs and miraculous healings and, and healing the, the sick and, and helping the demon oppressed be freed, but he was also teaching in a new way that was different than the other religious leaders. Something new was coming and he was talking about a new way of life. And as we get to Mark 9 today, we're going to see him kind of start talking about that new way of life. Now, last week, uh, Craig talked about Mark 7, and we're going to be in Mark 9 today. Now, we're skipping Mark 8 for one reason, because we went over part of it in our introduction in October. So if you want to hear more about it, uh, you can go back then. But also because we're, we're working through the book of Mark, and there's so many stories that it would take too long to go through every single one. But I do want to go over Mark 8 really quickly, because it's, it's a turning point in the book of Mark. See, before Mark 8, Jesus is going around doing many miraculous signs. They're quick hit stories over and over and again. Jesus immediately goes here, then he goes here, then this happens. And it's fast paced, Jesus doing these amazing new things. But in Mark 8, things slow down. For the first time, uh, Peter actually says that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one that Israel was waiting for for years to free them from their oppression, to, to bless the nations so that they could experience the presence of God. But Peter and the disciples didn't quite understand what Jesus would be as a Messiah. They thought he would be some political leader or some military leader, and they'd have this earthly kingdom. But in Mark 8, Jesus starts to say that, no, my, my kingdom, my, my rule, my messiahship is going to be something for something deeper for something that's not just earthly, it's something heavenly. Because at the end of Mark 8, Jesus talks about how he was going to have to die and rise again, and, and his disciples didn't understand that, because that doesn't mesh with their idea of what a Messiah would do. He would rule and reign. He wouldn't die. And then Jesus starts talking about, my, my followers will also suffer. They'll have to pick up their cross, deny themselves, and do these hard things. That's not ruling and reigning in abundance, the, the Messiah, the kingdom that they had hoped for? Because Jesus was doing something different. And here in Mark 9, we get to see that his kingdom is different than what they expected. Mark 9, 1 is actually the conclusion to Mark 8, but it actually is a prelude to what we talk about today. So Mark 9, 1 says, and he, which is Jesus, said to them, truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. That the kingdom of God has come with power. 
Now, scholars will actually debate what instance this is where the disciples will get to see that the kingdom of God has come with power. And some say different things. But before we answer that question of when they will get to see that, we need to understand what is the kingdom of God. Now, quite simply, the kingdom of God is God's rule and reign over the world. Now, a normal kingdom includes a people and a place. For us in Canada, the, the kingdom is Canada, and the, the place is this northern part of the Western Hemisphere. And the people are Canadians. And some of them are here, most of them are here, but they're all over the world, really. It's a people and a place. And God's kingdom has a people and a place, but it's bigger than that. Because God isn't just this earthly, creating this earthly kingdom. He's creating a heavenly kingdom that is bigger, that is broader. He is the creator of, a, of all, the supreme being with all knowledge and all power. He is majestic and holy, set apart, completely different. So his kingdom is bigger than all of that. Daniel 4.3 hints at, at the magnitude of God's kingdom when it says, uh, his dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. So God's kingdom has, has always existed and will always exist. And when Jesus talks about here that the disciples will get to see that the kingdom of God has come with power. It doesn't say they'll get to see when God's kingdom comes in power because it already exists. His kingdom already exists from eternity past to eternity in the future. But they will get to see a glimpse of his kingdom come, that it has come, that it will exist for eternity and that it will exist with power. And, and one way that they'll get, to, they'll get to see this, I think, in multiple ways. One is Jesus' resurrection, and they'll get to see that Jesus' kingdom has come through his resurrection. Another time is through uh, the Pentecost in Acts 2, you can read about, and the Holy Spirit coming and filling up the disciples, and they'll get to see God's kingdom has come then. And we'll get to see that God's kingdom has come when, when Jesus comes again for a second time. But this, this statement also comes right before the transfiguration, which is the passage we're going to be reading from today, which, which is also an instance where some of the disciples will get to see that God's kingdom has come. And that's our big idea today, is that God's kingdom has come. And we'll see it in this passage. Uh, so uh, Mark 9, 2 to 15 says, After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him, and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured or transformed before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them. And a voice came from the cloud, This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, why did the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected 
But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. Um, this, this section, the first thing that we learn about the kingdom of God is that the king has come. Jesus is the ruler that, that the Old Testament uh, points to and that the New Testament reveals as, as the king, the centerpiece of God's kingdom. And there's multiple ways we can, we can see this. Uh, first of all, they go up a, a high mountain. This high mountains often in Israel culture meant a divine place where you'd get a revelation from God. And this high mountain is, is especially uh, different because it actually has many uh, connections with the high mountain that Moses went up in the Old Testament. If you're reading along with us in, in our Bible reading, uh, we've just been kind of reading this in Exodus 24, and we're going to be reading Exodus 34 this coming week. But Moses also went up a high mountain with three named people. And, and on this mountain, Moses had a revelation from a cloud, and he heard the cloud speak. And Jesus, like Moses, they both had, had radiated with something that was, that was not earthly possible. And people saw them and were filled with wonder or fright as people saw them. Moses, this was him receiving the law, the new covenant of God that, that invited people to, to follow him and that if they were able to follow the law, they'd receive his blessing. But the people were hard-hearted and they couldn't follow that blessing. And the law was unable to, to connect people with God, to help them even connect others with God. But in this instance, there's, there's no laws that are written out. What comes down the mountain is just Jesus. Jesus is the centerpiece, and, and he is the way that we can be connected with God, like the, the law was in the Old Testament. Jesus is our connection with God in this New Testament, in this new era of his kingdom, that his kingdom has come, and it comes through Jesus. And it's shown that Jesus is the centerpiece throughout this passage. Again, his, he's, he's transfigured or he's transformed somehow in, in a heavenly, more elevated, more beautiful way that we can't quite understand, but we can only marvel at its greatness. His clothes become dazzling white, even more so than Billy Mays would be excited about his OxyClean, but just so white that must be heavenly. There's also these two people who had been gone from the earth for hundreds of years, Moses and Eliza, show up. Mo these were heroes from Israel's past. Moses, like I said, he received the law and helped the new covenant, helped Israel become a people of God. And he freed them from the Egyptians. And he led them to the promised land. This hero... Elijah, as well, was a hero of the faith. He did many miracles, including one time when he raised somebody from the dead. He was a messenger from God, and he even had his own mountaintop experience where he was, uh, challenged the, the, the Baal religion and, and the prophets of another religion. And in that high mountain experience, God showed himself by raining fire from heaven to burn up a sacrifice, showing that God is divine. But both Moses and Elijah they disappeared from Israel's history. And, and not having the lasting change that, that was hoped for, that was promised. Moses didn't even lead his people into the promised land. And his people were still hard-hearted and unable to follow the law 
that God provided that would help them connect with God, help them be God's people. Elijah, although he did many miraculous things and, and gave many words from God to the people, the king of the land was still evil. The people were still evil and, and they didn't turn their hearts towards God. Moses and Elijah disappeared from Israel's history and they disappeared from this scene. They're almost a footnote. Like they show up and then they're gone. Like you don't really hear much about them. But Jesus remains. Because both Moses and Elijah in the Old Testament were supposed to point to Jesus and his goodness. And just like here, Moses and Elijah show up and they point to Jesus and, and what they couldn't do, Jesus will do. He will show that his kingdom has come in a new and better way than even they can imagine. And neither uh, Elijah or Moses had a, had a cloud say that this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. God says this about Jesus, that he is his son and, and connecting him with God, with deity, being a God himself, and that his kingdom has come. God on earth has come. Jesus is the king. He is the savior. He is the Messiah. And he is the redeemer, the fulfillment of the Old Testament and the savior in the New Testament. And he has brought his kingdom, which is not an earthly kingdom. It's a heavenly kingdom, which brings us to our next point is that the kingdom is heavenly, which means that it's opposed to, a, to an earthly kingdom in some ways. Uh, Peter and the disciples thought that his kingdom would be earthly. And, and even the way that Peter responds on this mountaintop saying, hey, let's build some shelters to honor you three. And that gets ignored by God and Jesus. It's just kind of ridiculous. And that's kind of sometimes how we treat the kingdom of God. We try to have these earthly things. And, and even in the Old Testament, how people were respond, or tried to have this earthly kingdom by following rules, but being unable to do it because, because God is perfect. We have these sinful natures in us. We needed something greater. We needed something that is, that is better than what is natural in us to help us. So because this is a heavenly kingdom, we can't completely understand. We don't completely understand what transfigured means or, or why Moses and Elijah came or, or what it really means, but, but it's pointing to a better kingdom. Not a kingdom that's built on force or political power or, or a military, but a kingdom that is inaugurated through suffering, through sacrifice, through, through peace, not through dominion. Most kingdoms are, are established when the other king is killed, but God's kingdom is established when Jesus is killed and comes back to life. This kingdom is completely different than the earthly kingdom. And God says from the cloud, listen to Jesus, listen to his kingdom, how, how his heavenly kingdom is, is going to be different than our earthly kingdom, than, than maybe some of our natural desires or what we naturally think is right. Um, and even the disciples show that they're still trying to mix and match the two kingdoms. They're trying to say, okay, no, you, you, suffering can't happen. Or they even say, the religious teacher, teachers talk about this Elijah, and it doesn't really match with what's happening here, Jesus. Like, we see Elijah, and we don't see Elijah. What does this really mean? But we can't mix and match God's kingdom with what we think our kingdom should be. And they are going to be opposed. For instance, a simple one is to love our enemies. That's not something that comes natural. 
to sacrifice our own desires for other people. That's not something that comes in, in a natural earthly way, but it's a heavenly thing that only Jesus himself can reveal. So if you're somebody who's not a follower of Jesus here and you're kind of exploring, you're not sure, I want to encourage you. Listen to Jesus. What does he say about his kingdom? What does he say about Christianity? Don't get your beliefs about what Christianity is and who Jesus is by the Simpsons or social media or, or even by uh, good Christian friends or even myself. Predominantly, we should be hearing of who Jesus is and who the kingdom of God, what the kingdom of God is about is from him. And you can read his words through the eyewitness accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are in our Bibles. And, and I encourage you, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're kind of curious about what this whole Christianity thing is about, listen to Jesus. Listen to his words as you read those gospels in the Bible. But for those who are Christians, if you are following Jesus, we still get some of our earthly kingdom values mixed up with kingdom values. Because, uh, and that's just the way that we operate. If you're not bumping into these, it probably means that you're not listening to Jesus. You're only listening to yourself. Sometimes those things are, are hard. But we need to be, we are called to be fully devoted to his kingdom. In Galatians uh, 3.28, it says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That we aren't Canadian or American predominantly. We aren't Democrat or Republican. We are, first of all, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are in his kingdom. You are a Christian, a Christian, before you are a Canadian or a Republican, or whatever else you, you feel like you are, that, that this does not just kind of like mix and intermatch with those other things. It's this first above everything else. And then maybe you have some of those other identities as well. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are part of his heavenly kingdom. Which leads us to our second point, which God's kingdom is, is not only heavenly, it's eternal. It's something that reigns for all time, as we saw in, in Daniel 4. It's, it's from generation to generation that started in the past and will go on to the future. But the way that it operates is a little bit different at different points in history. Like in the Old Testament, I've already uh, kind of insinuated that it, God's kingdom happened through the law and, and people trying to follow him and, and, and God showing up in glimpses from time to time. But it just continued to show that people were faithless and hard-hearted and, and they couldn't get the promises and they couldn't achieve to be with God's presence. But here, Jesus says that his kingdom has come with power, that there's this new age that Jesus brings as he comes to earth. And he's showing it in greater ways. And, and throughout Mark, he's showing it by healing the sick and, and, and helping the demonized be set free and, and, bring, and even calming the storm that he has control, that there is power in his kingdom that has come in a new way. And he's, and he's taking back the darkness and bringing in his love and his life. It reminds me of a scene from the movie 300. Now, I don't actually remember, recommend watching the movie 300. It was a movie I watched when I wasn't following Jesus, and there's some things that are not good in it. But there's a scene where a messenger from the evil nation comes, and he starts threatening and insulting the king of Sparta, King Leonidas. And King Leonidas is, is defiant against him as, as, a, as a warrior. And, and he says, uh, and so the messenger is kind of shocked by this. And he says, you, don't, you can't go against our kingdom. We're so powerful. We have all of these things. This is, this is madness. 
In response, King Leonidas says, this is Sparta. And he gives him this giant kick and makes him go flying into a bottomless pit. That giant kick is kind of what I see Jesus doing to the darkness throughout Mark. And he's, and he's given a kick to, to heal the sick and to, and to free the, the oppressed. Uh, Jesus talks about his ministry and his purpose in Luke 4, and I kind of see in different ways how he's kicking back the darkness in Luke 4, 18 and 19. It said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Kick. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Kick. And recovery of sight for the blind. Kick. To set the oppressed free, kick, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I'm going to invite you as, as, uh, to kind of respond in your own way, as, and you can kick when I say kick, to help remember that, that what Jesus is doing is he is fighting back the darkness and showing that his kingdom has come. So whenever I say kick, you can kick at home. And Jesus throughout Mark is, is kicking back the darkness. He's showing his love. And he's not fighting against people. In Ephesians 6, it says, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the demonic forces, against evil, against, against the, the powers in the dark realm. And Jesus is coming in a new way and showing that right now his kingdom has come in a new way with power. But as you can see around you, there's still darkness. There's still hurt. There's still pain. There's still sickness all over the world. Because God's kingdom also will have a future day. And that future day will come when Jesus comes again and he will kick out all the darkness for once and for all, defeating the enemy so that whoever is a follower of him, whoever has accepted his death and resurrection for our sins, they can experience new life with him for eternity. Where there's no more tears, no more hurt, no more pain. And his dominion, his kingdom will last once and for all time. Because Jesus did not only bring his kingdom and show it, he invites us to be in his kingdom. It's not by following a, a big book of rules, which I'd fail every single day. I do fail every single day. But he, as king, would suffer and die so that we can be part of his kingdom. So that his sacrifice can pay the penalty for our sins and, and we can be washed clean of our sin and be lights in a dark world. Not because of what we do, but because of what he has done in us. That we are redeemed so we can enter his kingdom. And we can be transformed by him. Ephesians 6 talks about being strong in the Lord and in his power. It's not by our power. It's not by our doing that we can bring light or even kick back the darkness. It's through him and him working in and through us that we can be a light in the world. John Calvin said that we must make the invisible kingdom visible in our midst. And our next point is that we are ambassadors of his kingdom. We are ambassadors of his kingdom. If you are a follower of Jesus and you have been transformed, he lives in you and you can show his goodness, his love, his light, his heavenly kingdom to the world. That's, that can happen now, and it can happen throughout eternity. Because as you know, as ambassadors, you're living in enemy territory. You're living in a foreign nation. There is hurt. There is pain. There is darkness all around us. But we can be a light to him. 
Uh, Jesus talks about this in, in Matthew 5 and, and how we can uh, just even fight against the, the gates of Hades or darkness. Jesus says that I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The church Jesus is talking about is not uh, this building. It's not talking about a service on Sunday morning. It's talking about the people of God being so transformed by his power that they get to walk out in his love and walk out in his light and be a light to the world. Because it doesn't talk about that you will build your church. It says, I will build my church in my power, in my life, in my, in my glory. I will help transform you so that you, so that the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, we have this little kingdom right here. And I want to point out that what this verse doesn't say is that the gates of Hades will not overcome uh, or Hades will not overcome the Christian gates, the Christian norm, the Christian uh, castle. Because if that were uh, the case, then we as Christians should just try to keep our moral stance. But what this says is that the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That means that we can kick back the darkness. We can bring light to dark places where the enemy has had strongholds. The enemy has addictions. The enemy holds into sickness and pain. And we, as ambassadors of Christ, through him working in and through us, we can bring life in our light. Just as Jesus uh, talked about freeing the oppressed, we can kick back and free the oppressed. Just as Jesus talked about even healing the sick, we have the power to pray and heal the sick. We can do in our own lives different things to to show God's love, to proclaim truth, and and to knock back what the enemy was holding against us. Uh, One example of this in in, uh, my friendship, in my community, is uh, we have some neighbors who are Christians, and they want to create a safe place for kids. So they're often at the park and interacting with other kids. Um, and one thing that they, they uh, and the way they've created the safe place is just by building relationships. And they've had a couple opportunities where they've really kicked back the darkness in our neighborhood. One time there was uh, three kids whose parents were having a fight later on at night and they came over to their house in their pajamas to just be in a safe place. Another time there was a preteen girl who was crying out in our park and and the mother went out there and talked with her and found out that uh, her father had yelled at her. So she was just there to give her peace and hope. And and in their own way, they're kicking back the darkness to create a safe place, to show God's love, to show his peace, to show his kingdom in in our neighborhood, to show his love that is working in and through, through you. What does this mean for you? How can you be ambassador for Christ? How can you kick back the darkness? And it's going to look different for different people. Maybe if you're somebody who's just exploring Christ, maybe kicking back the darkness is just to find out who Jesus is. What's his kingdom like? How is it it heavenly? What does it actually say about itself? Not what I think it is or or my kingdom. And maybe you can just explore what, what truth is and the truth that Jesus says about himself. And that's how you can kick back the darkness. Or maybe you're somebody who's, who's just kind of getting going in their Christian life and, and you're still walking in a lot of earthly ways. Maybe you're listening to some, some people who may be good people, but you're listening to them above Jesus and his value and his kingdom. And you're living by some earthly values. And you can invite God to work in you to live by heavenly values rather 
than live by the earthly values or, or, earthly, or operating in earthly ways, by loving your enemy, by, by caring for people. Or maybe for others of you, it's actually being ambassadors, to be a light for those around us, that, that we are show that God is greater than anything else in all creation, and we can invite them into his kingdom. You can invite them into the kingdom to see his kingdom by the way that we love, by the way that we care, by, by bringing joy and peace, but we can also invite them into the kingdom for eternity, that they get to experience God's joy, get to experience his presence in heaven forever. And maybe for you, it might mean sacrificing or, or, or uh, stepping into being an ambassador for God's kingdom and, and kicking back the darkness in that way. The kingdom of God has come in power and we can kick back the darkness around us. Let's pray. God, I thank you for who you are, that you are the king of your kingdom that is better than anything this world offers. And I pray that we can operate in your kingdom as we rely on your goodness and your power as you live in and through us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.